0: Listen, if you're always running to the bathroom and sometimes just can't make it, we need to talk. You're not alone. I was just like you until I spoke to an expert physician about Axonix therapy. It changed everything. It didn't just give me bladder control. It gave me my life back. Axonix therapy is not another drug. It's just a tiny device you barely have to think about, and it can give you real lasting relief. You can even try it out first to make sure it works for you.
1: Hello and welcome to episode
2: 135
1: of... On this episode I'm talking to Siobhan McAndrew who has been working for BBC Radio for quite a few years but more recently was part of the production team on The Croc of Gold, the film about Shane McGowan, which was produced by Johnny Depp and directed by Julian Temple. And throughout the interview, when we mentioned Julian, that's who we're talking about, Julian Temple, who also directed The Great Rock and Roll Swindle, Absolute Beginners, and many more um, films, documentaries, in particularly in the music industry so yeah oh and the other thing that she worked on then after that more recently was the uh, documentary which went out on the bbc just a week or so ago called uh, music's dirty little secret and it's about sexual harassment in the music industry some of it's quite harrowing but it's well worth checking out if you get on the music the sorry the uh get on the bbc iplayer you'll find it there Ah, so I feel like spring has sprung now. I've got a bit of a pep in my step in the last few days because I was going down the street, and the sun was out, and I i actually, you yeah, popped in and got a bunch of flowers to put on the kitchen table, and they're sitting there now, and the smell from the daffodils are absolutely fantastic, and there's a couple of irises, Um and yeah, I just feel like maybe the last four weeks I was hibernating it was so dark and windy and i just didn't go out very much i was working away on writing and editing stuff here um that's what i did i felt like i hibernated kind of um and the last few days like last saturday i went back to go i went for a dip in the sea again after not doing it for a whole month it was pretty cold in the water but at least out of the water it wasn't totally freezing so You know, spring is the best season, really. When everything comes back to life after being completely dead. I mean, that's just great. You know, what have we got? You've got the daffodils, obviously now. Earlier on, there would have been crocuses. And we've got the cherry blossoms to look forward to. You know, the cherry trees, they look kind of boring most of the year, but then once a year, they're like,
3: woo, look at me. I'm all pink. I'm all white
1: so that's to look forward to and you know this winter i guess was even more uh, dra- dra- dragged even more and it was because of the covid and stay i mean i could stay in for a whole month because i didn't have any work to do that involved travelling anywhere anyway so it did feel like hibernation and um and uh, spring is just nice. we've got it all to look forward to, folks. you know who know you know by the end of the year, we could be all be hugging each other and licking each other's faces and touching eyeballs and everything. It's all ahead of us um and uh, I even tried a few different things that I've never cooked before. uh simple things. I went and bought some sardines. I saw them in the fishmongers lying there in the little tray, and I thought. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll take some of them and, uh, see. So I grilled them with a bit of salt and, um, olive oil on them and they were good. Yeah. You know, once they grill the eyes that were looking at me before that accusatorily, they glaze over once you grill them. So it's okay. They're not looking at you when you're eating them. And I bought like, cause they're little ones aren't they sardines as you know i bought 12 of them and uh it's too much too much you don't want to eat 12 sardines no i mean i was sharing them with my son but he wouldn't he'd only get about two or three so i had the lion's share is it the lion's share or the king's share king's ransom yeah lion's share um and then i made bacon and cheese croquettes and they were made, you know, with flour and egg egg and binded together and deep fried, you know, so a lot of oil going on there. Because I was in a tapas kind of vibe. I thought, well, I'm getting sardines, I get do something else that's tapas. And I'd looked up something and these were the things. Um but uh, it's it, they were it was the kind of dinner you want when people come round and they yeah it's tapas you have a little bit but it, it was too much for a dinner and that's what I was doing I was basically eating you know deep fried bacon and cheese croquettes and sardines and sardines are a lot of work like a lot of fish there are you know things from the sea lobsters crabs. A lot of work, a lot of bones to get round for your little bit of meat. That doesn't happen with any... No one one goes and, uh, uh, you know, deep-fries a a sparrow and goes, Oh, yes, but for that little bit of meat, it's well worth it. But for some reason, things that come from the sea were happy enough to pick through the bones for the tiniest little bit of meat. Oh, you know, look, I'm not putting down sardines. Eat them. They're great. Um, I'm saying I should have had people round and we could all have little bits of different things. That's what tapas is about. But of course you can't have people round. I mean, people round? (laughs) Oh, that was back in the old days, remember? (laughs) Apparently, people used to come round. God knows how many germs they were spreading to each other. Well, uh, I've also, yeah, so one of the things I've been working on has been a sketch show uh, that's out on spotify and all podcasts uh, networks they are uh, uh, you know that wherever you listen to your podcast you can get this it's called dic tv radio and shall will give you a little sample of what it's about here
3: here we go if your cow got leg rot or hairy belly crabs, then use 2220 hypertoxy 2 2220 hypertoxy jutermoxie two, two, to stop the leg rot and kill the hairy belly crab stone dead! 2220 hypertoxi jutermoxy It's great! <laughs> he's a pig, he's a dog, he's
1: a snake, but he knows how to slap dumps.
3: What yeah, did I just say, God? It's, it's ripping Man here and he don't yeah, need Hello, and welcome to our weekly roundup of the latest sports action here in Ireland. Joining me as usual is Ben with some insights for us. Hello, Ben. Hello, Dermot. A great week of sports here which brought some surprise results. Yes, I suppose the most surprising of all is that Nobber really baited the hell out of Muff 311 to 1 8. Yes, Knobber on top form today. Everyone thought that Muff had the upper hand, but Knobber really pulled this one out of the old bag. A great result for Bastards Bastardstown and Lower Ballocks are playing each other at the moment. How is that going? A very tough game going on there. Bastardstown took an early lead winning the first two sets while Lower Ballocks laid low. But Lower Ballocks have come ahead strong the last two winnings. Is there any truth to the rumours that Lousy Bush have made an offer to Seamus O'Shea? Yes Seamus who is currently playing for horse and jockey has said that he is in talks with Lousy Bush and if he does go over this will be a record sign. How much are we talking about Ben? Well Seamus O'Shea said that he is looking for 27 euro 40 but Lousy Bush have said that they have made an offer for 25 euro but they will pay his bus fare. Oh staggering fees from Lousy Bush Ben. Indeed, yes, considering that the latest record was when Ushi and McTomas went from legweed to term and for the record fee of five euro, a bicycle pump and a bottle of tea. We have now really entered a new era. Oh, it's unbelievable, Ben. Thanks, Ben. That's all we have time for this week. Thanks for joining us. Tune in next week when slots end and Spunk and battle it off. There you go,
1: and uh, and of course this podcast is uh, that's called DICTV Radio, by the way. But this podcast is on the Head Stuff Podcast Network, and there are many great podcasts uh, on this network, and uh, here's one of them.
0: I'm Gerald Farrelly, and I'm the host of Fascinated. Have you ever wondered about the pop bands you liked as a teenager? What went on behind the scenes? We had played this, like, grand prank. It sounds terrible, but I'm just so relieved it's over. And then they had this, like, great
2: idea of getting another girl in who looked like Heavenly.
0: What did they do afterwards? And all of a
3: sudden you're like, oh, that's the end of that. It
0: was all blowing up when it all kind of just unraveled. And
3: I thought it would last forever and it didn't.
0: Check out Fascinated with me, Gerold Farrelly, on the Headstuff Podcast Network.
1: Now, so... So let's carry on with this one. It's a a wonderful chat with the absolutely fantastic Siobhan McAndrew. Siobhan, where are you from? What part of Ireland?
2: I am from County Mayo. Might not sound like it anymore. Um, but yeah, no, I, I grew up in Mayo.
1: I see. So um, then, did you leave Mayo to go to college? You studied journalism, was it?
2: Yeah, no, it's a bit. It's a bit of a bit of a mad tale, really, because I was born in Manchester to Irish parents, who actually met uh, through radio. Actually, that's another story. But um, but yeah, my parents, who were both Irish, they met in Manchester, and then they moved us back to Ireland when I was two and my brother would have been about four. Um, and we moved to Clare Galway in County Galway. And we were there for five years. And then we moved to Castlebar because my dad's a Mayo man originally. He's from uh, Gotmore, which is just above Caramore Lake there in Eris. I'm sure you've done some gigs in Belmolet. I have
1: the- done gigs in Belmolet. I actually have. It's the furthest you can drive from Drada I'd say.
2: Yes. I, I describe it to people you know, uh, who aren't familiar with it, kind of like Narnia or, you know, kind of beyond the wall, like in, in Game of Thrones, you know, where the wildlings live. I mean that in the nicest way possible, you know, uh, the landscape and the people, and it's just a whole other world. And um, yeah, so we're, we were in Castlebar then for about 10 years, but I went to the local convent school for three years. And then I was sent to a private boarding school in Dublin. So that was a bit of a change.
1: <laughs> oh, well, you were you sent there because you were being naughty or something.
2: <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I think it was it was kind of down to the Celtic tiger, I think. I think my parents were just making a few, you know, an extra few bob. And they thought um, uh, it's almost like kind of taking out insurance out on your kids, isn't it? It's like, let's give them all the opportunities they could possibly ask for. And then there I was, this big culture coming down from Mayo, like, <laughs> you know, uh, going to this um, private school where, you know, my classmates, you know, their parents were in, you know, big bands or, you know, TV hosts or, you know, like they were all quite children of high profile people, you know, and uh, I was certainly one of the poorer children in the, in the, in the, in the boarding school, which is, um, so it was it was it was an interesting experience, and I keep in touch still with friends from primary school from Galway, from Castlebar, from uh, Saint Joseph's in Castlebar. My my secondary school pals, you know, that I would have done my junior there with, I keep in touch with them. Um, Sally Rooney was in the year below me, and we used to go to drama school together on a Saturday. Sally Rooney, who wrote Normal People, and
1: yeah, yeah, right, yeah,
2: that's amazing. So, it, you know, I just remember a few years ago when I was living in Manchester, like walking down Dean's Gate and walking past Waterstones and seeing Sally Rooney in, in the window. I mean, it was just like, like the, the full window display was normal people. And it was this really bizarre moment where I thought, where do I know that name from? And I Googled it and I was like, oh, my God. So um,
1: yeah, that's incredible. And uh, did you want to do journalism when you were in school? Was that something you wanted to do?
2: I hadn't clear what I wanted to do. Ah. Um, you know, as the famous Baz Luhrmann lyric goes, you know, some of the most interesting forty-year-olds I know still don't. Like I, 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 I don't know. I always wanted to do lots of different things. I never wanted to kind of pin myself, down to kind of just doing one thing. And part of me as well, like I'm sure, I didn't really give it much thought the age of 24 25 like it was all about friends parties music having the crack going out traveling and you know not really making plans or serious life decisions (laughs) I remember you used to like take your thing you'd have your hand scanned like your fingerprints scanned you know to go into school every day into the institute because there were so many students that's how they took roll call so I'd get up I'd do my hand scan and then I'd just back off to Stephen's Green I'd you know go meet up with the friend so I was a bit naughty but I didn't do very well in my leaving and then came back to Castlebar for a year kind of uh you know had a had a strong word with myself uh, did a feetack in music and then that kind of got me enough points then to get into music tech at leeds metropolitan Um, and i kind of wanted to go to leeds anyway because i had a lot of friends who were studying in leeds a lot of those friends would have been from manchester because you know um for instance, you know, a lot of my aunts and uncles and uh, my grandmother, who's from Swinford, you know, she's been in Manchester for like 60 years. So I'd always be going out in Manchester and meeting people. And I knew people in Leeds. So, And, and we also going to be studying the same course. So we all thought we'd, we'd do it together. So that was nice. And it meant that I wasn't kind of moving to England, not knowing a single soul. Like I knew a couple of people already in Leeds. And it has a great Irish community as well. Like Yeah. You know, I was the only girl to graduate that year in music tech at, at Leeds Med, now called Leeds Beckett University but um yeah so so I f- I finished that and I always had an interest in radio so moved to Manchester I was working as a carer um I was waitressing didn't really know what to do uh you know how it is when you when you finish your degree and you're kind of like well thought I was going to walk straight into a job there but uh you know uh I wasn't expecting that with a music tech degree but um but I did have a a year there of kind of you know doing for want of a better term a normal job um, Hmm. really so it's it was you know I thought I'd stay in Leeds for three years and come back and then I ended up going to Manchester and uh, that's where I did the journalism. I did a master's in journalism there, so so that's how I ended up in Manchester. Um.
1: Yeah. Oh right, okay. So yeah, so you started off then in Lancashire, Lancashire BBC Radio, was it?
2: Yeah, like while I was doing the caring and the and the wages work, you know, I started volunteering at a local radio station called All FM. There was an Irish show on there, and then um, and then I thought, you know what? Why not? do a master's in in journalism which uh I did and it was a bit of you know a bit of radio a bit of tv you know general sort of media studies and um, it was an intense sort of one year master's course and through that master's course they gave you the opportunity to do some work experience so I said I wanted to go to Radio Lancashire because there's like this legendary kind of radio show there that's been going since the 80s called on the wire and i mean i think they did the first ever radio interview with the smiths and like you know steve barker who's the presenter and he's been doing it uh yeah uh since since its first uh broadcast you know he he was very you know influential back in the day and sadly in last year you know the bbc um yeah they 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 cut it after over 30 years of you know, brilliant broadcasting. So that was a real shame.
1: Right. Uh, so what were you doing on that show?
2: I was just doing like the odd package and a few interviews. My first ever interview, actually, I did for On The Wire. And this kind of becomes a bit of a trend throughout my life where the first thing I do for somebody is the most difficult. You know, it, it, like talk about throwing you in the deep end. So my first interviewee was the Scratch Perry um, of... Reggae fame, the most difficult person to interview, you know. Um he refused to start the interview for about 15 minutes because something had fallen off his hat and his son was stood in the corner rolling his eyes like you know, this guy's crazy. <laughs> and but he he pulled out a crystal from behind the couch and stuck it back on his head and said, Okay, I'm I'm ready now, let's go. <laughs> so uh so yeah, I did an interview with Lee Scratch Perry for on the wire and um, yeah, I made a few music packages for them. And then I started working in current affairs uh, at BBC Inside Out. They took me on for a week and I ended up pitching a program that week. Um, you know, I just thought, feck it, I-, I could be out of here next week. This is my kind of, <laughs> this is my chance, you know? And they were looking for ideas for shows. And I I knew of a Holocaust survivor in Manchester who just had the most amazing Like story, um, Kaien Forster, he passed away a few years ago, but uh, or Henry Forster, it was his kind of you know his English name, uh, Polish uh, Jewish um, man from from North Manchester, and he just had the most amazing story. He survived like eight concentration camps, including Auschwitz. You know, went on to invest his money in the plastic business. And then, you know, like the old VHS and CD covers and stuff, he made those. And then he sold the business for millions in the nineties to like Sony and just, yeah, so I pitched that and then they ended up keeping me on for maybe two years. And then, yeah, and then Six Music happened and Radio Three and The Proms. And then mm. and the next minute I'm moving to London. So yeah, I've been around the block, Joe.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, look, I, uh... I see what you're doing on like on Instagram or whatever. I'm, look, we've been in touch over the years, but um, suppose lately uh, the big thing has been the uh, crock of gold with Johnny Depp and Shane McGowan. Yeah. So how long were you working on that?
2: From start to finish, it was probably about 18 months for me. Julian um, And the producers, it was probably, you know, Two and a half years in the making you know from kind of its inception to like raising the funds to make the film to it actually going out in the cinema and um, I think you know a lot of things kind of went against us sadly you know Covid being one of them and the cinemas being closed and um you know same as you probably know yourself not the easiest people to work with so like Things would get rescheduled or pushed back, and you know Julian was fantastic in sort of thinking on his feet and working around that, but you know uh, he's kind of got himself to blame for that because he's he's kind of attracted to these characters, you know he he, he loves um, kind of working around those obstacles and then trying to come up with a really creative way of getting around them you know yeah it was it was amazing to work on that film, and again. Bizarre how it all came about, and just the whole the whole process was kind of bizarre, to be honest with you. Uh, and Julian, who's made films with the likes of the Sex Pistols and you know the Kinks and all kinds of kind of precarious <laughs> characters, uh, he said this was the most difficult film he ever he ever made. So again, <laughs> me being thrown in the deep end, the first kind of feature film I make, and it's about Shane McGowan. So. I don't know if you noticed five minutes into the film where he shouts at me because he wants me to put some Northern soul records on.
1: Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And you say afterwards and he goes, now, now.
2: What was it? You don't put a record on now. I'm not saying another fucking word. And I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm very proud to say I didn't once cry during, that whole production I think that you know my few years in the BBC stood me in good stead for for, for the egos I was I was um, faced with um but I have an awful lot of respect for Shane McGowan and you know I, I I wouldn't want to say a bad word about him really because for all of his faults you know he's a he's a good soul he's a fantastic songwriter he's in my opinion done a lot for the Irish in England and the Irish in London you know he gave a real identity to, to be London Irish I don't know if you ever spent much time in London kind of in no London. I
1: didn't I didn't spend uh, uh, much time I, did, I never lived in London I was going over there doing gigs and stuff I met Shane McGowan uh, when he was quite young in Dublin and I actually asked him would he buy me a drink so <laughs> I got him to buy me a drink he was really nice
2: that was an achievement <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he is a generous person I have to say but yeah a difficult person to work with yeah. I had a really like beautiful moment once with Shane when um <laughs> I was actually sent to sort of coax him out of his house to try and get him to come down to Pickering where Marina Guinness lives and she's got a beautiful house there and we were going to set up for filming and you know light of fire and you know we had musicians there and it was beautiful and shane you know said he'd come down and and um, changed his mind so i was driven from selbridge to to falls bridge to try and convince him to come basically and i i failed <laughs> but in that hour of me trying to coax him to get into the van or into the you know into the car or whatever because you know sadly he has to use a wheelchair pretty much full time now you know and um, it's not so easy for him to move around so it's not like being able to just hop in the car and go you know there's a lot of sort of forward planning uh, needed you know in, when it comes to that kind of thing so um I was I was trying to win him over with my thin Lizzie knowledge uh, and I was I was chatting to him and um and we were talking about um, very early Lizzy stuff, the first album, for instance, and Shades of Blue Orphanage as well, which is one of my favorites. And he started singing uh, Little Girl in Bloom to me and bless Victoria Mary Clark, I didn't realize that she'd actually set up a camera and she filmed this uh, encounter. So she then WhatsApped the video to me. So I've got that and I'm gonna cherish that forever. It's like a 20 minute video of me and Shane just talking about Irish music and pin Lizzie and lyrics and uh, I end up leaving the house wearing a bin bag (laughs) Uh, himself and Victoria were telling me how they would you know punks in London back in the day would often go out just wearing a bin bag you know they'd fashion something out of a bit of plastic so I was like what really and Victoria said right come here I'll show you so um yeah our producer was surprised then to see me exit the house with uh, no shame, but donned in, uh, in, in in black plastic head to toe. So it was a yeah, bizarre, bizarre uh, experience altogether. Like even how I ended up working with Judy and you know, like I, I, I uh, just ended up getting chatting to him at a screening of one of his films, you know and I just returned from uh, covering Shane's 60th birthday at the concert hall in Dublin. I did that for six music and um I got chatting to him in the bar and he was saying to me that he was going to be making a film about about Shane McGowan. And I said, oh I've I've just been to his birthday party and you know Johnny Depp was there and Nick Cave and you know Sinead O'Connor and Camille O'Sullivan and all these fantastic artists. And uh, he said oh well Johnny Depp's actually our executive producer and I don't know if it was the wine or, or what, Joe. But I just said, "Who's your who's your assistant producer on this film, Julian?" And he just goes, "Yes," and he pointed at me. And you know, he did a, he had a few glasses of wine, so I, I I took really no notice of it to be honest. But he did take my email address. And the next morning, I opened my email, and I had an email from him that I've been sent at like one o'clock in the morning. It, subject heading was Shane. And the, in the body of the email was just, um, lovely to meet you tonight, uh, you know, sort of like, let's let's do this, you know, I'll let you know what, when it's happening. Um, so I thought, well, he sent that at one o'clock in the morning, so he was definitely still pissed. <laughs> so I'm still not convinced <laughs> that this is happening, but fair play to him, he rang me six months later. I remember getting the call, I'd since moved to London and I was working for BBC Music, which has since become BBC Sounds. And uh, I got a voicemail from Julian saying, we've got the money, we've got the funding and are you still available? So I then was able to sort of uh, negotiate a deal kind of between the BBC and Julian where I do two days for Julian and three days for them or vice versa. So it was, yeah, it was a mad time and life has changed a lot since like I thought 2020 was going to be all premieres and you know ball gowns and uh, you know film festivals and we end up releasing a huge film in the middle of a pandemic when cinemas are closed and you know um, Johnny's not doing interviews for obvious reasons and yeah there's been a lot of difficulty in sort of uh, kind of um, I suppose getting the film to people but it's, it's 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 online now you can order it now you can watch it from home for less than a fiver and um know there's there's so much love for the pole chain but i i'm sure it'll 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 all be good and and we've been you know awarded a few film festival you know awards and we got some great reviews and you know rolling stone the guardian so yeah i'm i'm happy with how things turned out
1: it's a brilliant film i i just think uh you know there's so much put into it and the early life of shane is depicted really well it's really that's really good There's kind of like a spiritual vibe to it you know
2: yeah that's it. that's down to you know johnny Halifax did a lot of the animation for that as did ralph steadman which was so cool because i mean um, whatever your opinions of Hunter S. Thompson or, or Johnny Depp, you know, that film and that book are mm. were very influential on me when I first read them when I was about 15 or watched them even and um, mm. you know, to to be working on a film that Ralph Steadman has contributed to. I mean, I, I did some of the voiceovers for some of those animations. Oh like, yeah? yeah, even that was it was it was very funny actually. It was during uh, lockdown and myself and the boyfriend we were out in the sticks, uh, living in an Airbnb along the coast here in Northern Ireland. And um, uh, we, we, we would go down the field and I was there recording these voiceovers for the film. I had to do like, you know, the homeless um, woman asking for another drop and like, Shane's mother shouting at him like, Shane, get in here now, stop that. And I did like the school teacher, you know, the yeah. sc- telling him off and there was a few characters in there that i did which was great fun and funnily enough actually they needed a young lad to sing um an alternative version of fairy tale of new york for the beginning of it they're in tipperary and he's dancing on the table so um i got my dad's neighbor who well basically my dad who's he's a psychologist he, he's, he's retired now he basically rang the, the the principal and said who's your best you know, singer. We need a young lad, kind of under the age of ten, to do a Shane McGowan. So uh, we got Jack Goham from Bell Bullet and he did the voiceover for his Bless Him. And you know, he was he was such a sweetheart. Like, you know, we, we offered him payment, and he didn't want to take it. And he said to me, um, "Johnny Depp's my favorite actor in the whole world." And uh, and then afterwards, his sister said, "You know, is there any chance you could get him an autograph?" And um, this is kind of maybe May time last year, so you know before it all kicked off in the courts, basically. And um, bless him, you know, not that that would have made a difference, but you know, uh, I really wanted to get this autograph to this kid. And, and fair play to them, you know, I'd be I'd be good friends now with Johnny's assistant Stephen, who was one of the producers on the film. And I was thinking he'd get like you know one signature, you know, Johnny Depp. But he sent him the most beautiful, like, painting, like this printed uh, picture of him as Captain Jack Sparrow and wrote, like, the most beautiful message, like, thank you so much for all the work that you put into this film. Because he, he signed the Wild Rover for us as well for the film. And I thought that was very decent then, of, uh, of Johnny's team to to send uh, the, the strings you have to pull to get Johnny Depp to send an autograph to Ben Mullet, but... <laughs> it worked it worked out
1: <laughs> that's amazing that's really nice nice to hear that um it's a weird isn't it amazing this uh friendship that johnny depp and Shane again have there's quite unusual that johnny depp a hollywood star would be so it seems to have this very close relationship with shane i don't know how close it is but um it's just interesting
2: it's very interesting and to you know um to see them together is a joy though because like they're obviously so into whatever the other one is saying. I mean, there was a really funny moment one evening when we were filming at the Boogaloo in Highgate in, uh, in London, ran by the famous Jerry O'Boyle who, you know, um, kind of manages Shane in a way, I suppose. Yeah, we were filming at the Boogaloo and Johnny and Shane were sat there at the bar and, uh, <laughs> I'd set them up with some Bluetooth speakers, you know, so that they could play tunes while they were chatting and having a drink. Like the, 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 the camera crew had gone home and our contributors had gone home. It was just like the bare bones of the crew. And it was Johnny and Shane kind of finishing up their evening. And I need to find out what, what tune it was. It was an old Irish tune anyway, like an old Irish air. Uh, but they'd accidentally put it on repeat. So this song played for about two and a half hours while the two of them were just engrossed in the each other's conversation. And that was kind of lovely. And I spoke to Johnny about it afterwards. I said, do you realize that I think it was Liam Brady. I was like, do you realize you have the same Liam Brady tune playing for the last three hours? He was like, no way. He was like, really? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's fascinated. Johnny is fascinated by kind of, you know, tales of folklore and magic and you know interesting people and places and I mean Shane is just he's full of stories so um you know why wouldn't you want to be friends with somebody like that I mean he's a fountain of knowledge when it comes to Irish literature and music I mean you'd nearly be afraid to talk to Shane about music or literature because you feel like such an idiot you know so um (laughs) so it, they do have an interesting friendship, but it's it's kind of it's you know it's an unconditional love that they share. I've seen it, and it's um it's it's a real bromance, as they say. Yeah, <laughs> I remember sitting in the lobby of like this hotel with Shane, um, and noticing this silver chain he was wearing, and he said, uh, "You know that that's I can't do his accent, and I'm not going to attempt to do it." Um, but he said that's F- Phil Phil Liner's. Uh, Bracelet or chain. Um, I would say Phil it but I'm, I'm being PC here and I'm going to pronounce it as the man himself pronounced it and say Phil Linish. But I said, no, it's not. And he was like, yes, it is. And he wasn't joking me. You know, like there he was. He was wearing Phil Linet's, uh chain. It's the one he's got. I think he's got it on his wrist on the cover of the uh, uh, a lot, um, Live and Dangerous album. You know, oh. where he's like, yeah, like it's a real piece of history he's got hanging off his wrist. And like, uh, you know even his friendship with jerry adams you know like it's just really um, all really interesting and fascinating the connections he makes and the people he forms relationships with and um you know i you could do a you could do a thesis on shane McGann. Well, Very- the
1: amazing thing is that there was so much footage of him as a punk and uh, at gigs, like at The Clash. And uh, and what was uh, unbelievable as well, because there was so much republicanism and blah, blah. And there he is with a Union Jack a jacket, with a Union Jack jacket, which is...
2: I know, he'll tell, you, he'll tell you he was being ironic. I wouldn't be so sure. I would say following the crowd more like at the time, which is fair enough when you're a teenager, you know.
1: It's bizarre, like... Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: It is is bizarre, it is bizarre. And I'm fascinated by the whole Irish English identity thing. I mean, like, I think that's what kind of attracted me to to wanting to work on the Shane film as well is that he is a a real contradiction, you know? I think I, I remember the first time hearing him speak and being shocked because I expected him to have a temporary accent, you know? And that messed with my head. But I'm also one of those people who, whenever I'm in England, I get asked whereabouts in Ireland are you from, and then when I'm home, everybody asks, you know, are you English? Where, you know, whereabouts in England are you from?
1: Um, I wanted to talk to you about this recent documentary, uh, "Music's Dirty Secret and about women in music. And uh, I just watched it, and uh, it was quite shocking, actually. Uh, particularly the story from that Irish girl.
2: Uh, what happened? Yeah, yeah. She, I actually I remember her band, um, and it was it was we, we'd put out a call on on Twitter for people to get in touch with us, and um, yeah, we we had a huge response, and it was kind of down to me and another researcher who um basically thrawed through those emails and then I was given the task of making all the phone calls all the difficult phone calls you know to to everyone who got in touch like um I'm pretty sure I can honestly say we got back in touch with everyone who reached out was and it was a good six seven weeks of me in a spare room here just on back-to-back phone calls of Um, on back-to-back phone calls with survivors of sexual abuse in the music industry and you know having worked in the music industry and and you know loved it and you know been around musicians and and that kind of thing for a long time it was it was like heart-wrenching you know hearing these stories and then having to you know not only listen to to the stories but also then type up notes afterwards and reflect on what these women and some non-binary people had had told us and I would then report back to my producers and you know and it was just a lot of listening and uh, a lot of note-taking and a lot of um, careful kind of consideration and um, a lot of back and forth with editorial policy teams and legal teams and as you can imagine you know I've, I've had to learn all about defamation again since brushed up on all my libel and defamation uh, skills in terms of like what you can and can't say and you know what we can and can't broadcast so yeah it's it, it was it was kind of like um, going back to it was like journalism boot camp almost you know I'd been kind of uh, just doing all the fun music, radio stuff for ages. You know, like the toughest day in work for me up until that point was probably you know the day Prince died or something. You know, and suddenly I'm having these really in depth and heartbreaking and very personal uh, discussions with these people. And um, it, yeah, it, it was like it was like boot camp uh, for me in terms of working efficiently and uh you know ethically and yeah if Amy's story in particular I don't know whether or not it's because I'm also you know fellow Irish woman but like yeah I found that a very difficult uh, story to hear and um, because I'd be familiar with a lot of the places and you know the keys and you know going down and getting the taxi on the keys like every everyone in Dublin's familiar with that and it can be a little bit dodgy and you know, um... but
1: what's particularly, sh- uh, no, not particularly shocking, but I, what's uh, like obviously the abuse uh, is shocking, but also the destro- destroying a dream or a, you know, someone who loves music and wants to be uh, in the industry and, and is really excited about what's happening. And then that's just destroyed as well, even even now, I think she said it just took the, jo- the joy for her in making me yeah. took it out of her life.
2: That was the most heartbreaking thing for me to to hear, I think, is like how dare these bastards, you know, take that from somebody? Like we're all entitled to make a go of it, mm. you know, regardless of you know what interests we have, where we come from, like everyone is entitled to make the best of their life, to do something they're interested in, to give it a go. And, you know, she had the talent and she has the talent, you know, and then uh, all it takes is one person to say something to you to to destroy your your dreams or knock your confidence. And um, that really hit me, I think. And it made me really angry. And often I find, you know, you have to get angry sometimes to do something about things. And you know anger sometimes it, I welcome it because it, it 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 it's a driving force for picking yourself up and dusting yourself off and saying you know fuck it like we only have one life as far as I'm concerned uh, that's my belief and um you know you know how dare they take those 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 you know take the joy out of it like you said take the joy out of something so um.
1: Did you ever feel like that in the industry that you were, that there was anyone in power who was trying to manipulate you?
2: Mm, Not not me. Of course, there's been the odd, uh, creepy day, as Sophie said, Um, you know, and we're all wary of those. And I'd like to think that, um, you know, we will all keep each other in check and also keep each other alert kind of you know uh, for, for these predators who are around because they 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 do exist and then you know obviously I've, I've experienced plenty of misogynistic comments I've had to work twice as hard probably as any man would have had to do, do in, in a similar position um but that's just part of being a woman I suppose and uh and um you know it's even harder for for women of color and people of color and non-binary people and other minorities you know they have to work three times or four times as hard so um I would consider myself very lucky but it's it was amazing actually um some of the memories it did trigger you know I would look back and think wait a minute you know I, I remember that guy being a bit creepier I remember that happening I was you know, that wasn't appropriate or, you know, I, I was probably maybe 16 when that guy was trying to hit on me at that gig. And, you know, I'll, I'll often look back and think, God, I, 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 um, I'd I, be a lot quicker to call it out now. You know, I think there's also a real laddish kind of culture in Ireland when I was growing up, kind of, you know, mid noughties just before the crash, you know, mm. kind of copper Jack's breed of uh, kind of Irish rugby lads, you know, um, like back then, you you couldn't call out that kind of behaviour. You know, instantly you'd be the the buzz killer, the party pooper, or the, you know, the 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 one who was you know absolutely no crack, or the person who made the drama queen. You know, um. But I've got an awful lot of faith in, you know. The generation below me you know they they're a lot more woke for for want of a better term you know they're a lot more woke and they I would like to think you know that's one thing social media has helped with is people don't get away with stuff anymore yeah. you're Very working
1: good. with Sinead O'Connor there just before the lockdown was it
2: I wasn't working with her <laughs> um
1: I was just hanging out
2: with pretty much yeah it was it's a strange tale so like I was in London living in London up until the lockdown and um I you know was living my footloose and fancy free life and it was all gravy and um I turned 30 that Christmas so Christmas 2019 and we had a big shindig in in London and um, my good friend, Hugh Cooney, actually came along and did a bit of comedy. You might know Hugh. Um, but, uh, yeah, shortly after that, um, I was still in Ireland. It was around New Year. In fact, it was the 4th of January. It's still in its anniversary. And I reunited with an old flame who I hadn't spoken to in 12 years. and. Yeah. Um, um or we hadn't seen each other in 12 years and we got chatting I think we'd we'd bumped into each other at a gig the year before as well and there'd been a couple of text messages and then it sort of fizzled out but it was nice chatting to him again and then bumping into him at the vibe for Philo then in Weedon's like the January before lockdown um you know we kept in touch and next thing he uh, he was off on tour with Sinead he's his he's her guitarist and they toured around europe for the month of january and the whole time we were texting back and forth back and forth and i think he i think he was wrecking Sinead's head actually he was he was going on about me that much it got to the point where he was calling me sinead and he was calling her Siobhan and uh they were gonna be away for a while and she said look just tell her to fly out like why don't you just fly her out for a week Tell her to come and join us in in a city somewhere and I have friends in Seattle and I thought well that's a that's a good spot I thought I'll I'll, I'll go out to Seattle I'll do the Pacific Northwest with them and it was like a week of kind of being like a fly on the wall you know I was a guest but I kind of kept a respectful distance and um kind of you know when they were rehearsing I'd go off and hang out with my friends and I'd come back in the evening and meet up with them and then watch the show from backstage and um you know we were all staying in this in the same Airbnb and stuff but um but it was just an amazing experience like I I I was always like that you know very spontaneous like if somebody said hey, do you want to jump on a flight to New York tomorrow to go for dinner? I'd be like, sure, why not? You know, yeah. uh, so so when I was asked to go out and join them for a week, I thought, sure, when am I ever going to get this opportunity again? And I'm so glad I did it because, yeah, little did we know, six weeks later, you know, we, our lives would be changed forever. So in fairness, I feel like I squeezed an awful lot out of, the, those two three months we had at the start of last year like I traveled a lot I got to do a lot of things and um, it was amazing to meet Sinead and, and get to know her a little bit and uh, you know I didn't have the guts to ask her for an interview but I'd like to think that that will happen someday and um, you know I'm, I'm very cautious like that. I mean, the whole time working with Johnny Depp, I didn't ask him for a single selfie because I wanted to be that cool member of the crew who didn't do that, you know. Uh, that's always been my style kind of, um, don't, don't be the annoying person <laughs> in the room. Um, and uh, I, t- I tried my best to do that and um, and we had a wonderful time and she's, she's hilarious. I don't know if you've ever met Sinead. No, I haven't
1: actually, never met her
2: got a great sense of humor is really kind like super sound really down to earth. the point where you know mcdonald's for breakfast you know if nowhere else was open like that was cool um and uh i got to yeah we i i flew into vancouver so that was my first time ever visiting canada which was lovely and i have friends in vancouver so while they were sound checking i went out for dinner with friends in vancouver and then we drove down cross the border actually I got to cross the border from Canada to the US with Sinead O'Connor and it was so funny because I got quizzed up at the border because I was the only like person that didn't have a work visa like I was on a tourist visa so I was like having to explain (laughs) to the customer to the to the um, immigration officials you know that I was basically just a tag along I was like yeah I'm, I'm you know I'm just here for the crowd. They were like, where do you work ma'am? And I was like, I work for the BBC. And they're like, are you sure you're not working? And I was like, yeah, I'm sure I'm not working. I'm definitely just here for the crack. Like you don't have to yeah. worry about uh, And then he went in and like slid me my passport and he goes, excuse me, but is that B. Reed O'Connor? And I was like, yeah, it is. And we very quickly got through the border. <laughs>
3: oh, nice.
2: um, so it all worked out well. And we did then Seattle and Portland. Portland was I'd been to before. Um and and yeah, and then I I stayed back in Seattle for a few days with some friends who worked for KEXP, who's a great that's a great radio station out there. Um and Sinead and the band continued on to San Francisco, and then they were supposed to play then Chicago for St. Patrick's Day, and that was when uh, Trump made his announcement that the borders were closing. So they very quickly had to get out of town <laughs> wow. so um so yeah so that that's how I spent the first few months of um, think, uh, 2020 oh. and then it's all changed yeah oh yeah
1: it's great you got in at that bit of travel though then yeah
2: but, like thank I just want to say by the way it's um and please include this if you're still recording it but like thank you so much for having me on the program it was such a lovely surprise to be invited and like I've been a fan of your comedy for a long time and I've had the pleasure of meeting your children and Mm. I mean like you're a beautiful family and you've you know you've I've listened back to quite a few of your podcasts now and I think they're brilliant and you've obviously got a great way with people and you've worked with some amazing people and they give you their time and it's just really good.
1: Siobhan said some very nice things there and I left them on even though I'm Irish and I don't take to flattery very well but uh, I thought I'll leave it on. Thanks Siobhan, thanks Siobhan. And next week I'm talking to Mary Stokes and she's a blues singer and she's performed with none other than John Lee Hooker, Taj Mahal and Bo Diddley. Um, Yeah, that was a lovely, brilliant chat. She's a great woman. Mary Stokes, have a listen to that next time. Uh, in the meantime, that's it. Uh, that's it. That's it. You'll, you'll have to just carry on with your own lives. Good luck now. See ya.
0: At Baker's, no matter where you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in store. So you can save when you order during band practice or at the dog park or wherever. Start your cart with the Baker's app and save from wherever today. Baker's, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. You can save an extra $10 when you spend 40 or more on a great selection of participating items. Just look for the signs and save at Baker's.